At this time, many of the children, time to have for them to go right around the corner here. Right around here. Glad to have our children here. All right. Thank you, those that help. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for the gift of music. Thank you for the opportunity we've already had today to sing our praise to you. We thank you, Lord, for all that you've done, all that you're doing, and all that you yet will do. Would you be with us, Lord? Help us as we go through this passage, that, Lord, you would be working in us and through us, and that, Father, we'd be challenged, encouraged, and strengthened by you and what you've done and what you will do. We thank you, Lord, for all this. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're with us last week, you may remember the, the, the name of the title was The Power of the Gospel, which I think is such a great name for it. Not because I thought about it, because I didn't, but I like the idea of saying the power of the gospel. I think a lot of times as we as Christians, we just kind of think like, yeah, sure, that happens, uh-huh, uh-huh. And we forget just how powerful the power of the gospel really is. And we saw some of that last week, and we want to see that, you know, and we want to see that this week as well as we go through it. So I called it the Apostle Paul and the Book of Galatians. And for those of you who were not here last week, I made the point of saying it's almost hard to take to separate the idea between Paul and, Gal and the Book of Galatians because they, they go together, so together so well. And it's an important way that they do it. And so when we were there last week, we talked about this. And what we saw is what last week that there was this beautiful little section where Paul in chapter 1, and here what Paul is doing, and this is so classic Paul, you might want to call it classic Paul, the way he describes, he's, he's writing to his people, he's wanting to them to know the gospel, to live the gospel, and so he writes, he writes here, I, Paul, an apostle, not from men or by men or by men, but by Jesus Christ, by God the Father, who raised him from the dead, to all the brothers who to me in the churches of Galatia, Galatia, again, is on that area we would call Turkey on the southern region. And so Paul's there, particularly he's been ministering there, and things have been going well. And so what he's saying, what he says, he said, by Jesus Christ. In other words, he's saying, I didn't get this from people. I got this directly from God. Well, that's quite a thing to say. Now, think about it. He says here, not from men. Well, who would it be? But it's by Jesus Christ. He's going to make this claim again and again, saying, I did not, like, make this up. This was given to me by God. This is what he's taught me, and he's taught me. He said, to Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches, he says, in Galatia. Right down there, by the way, would be right down here at Cilicia, where Paul was doing that work right around that time. And so you can see, and there's Galatia right at the top, Cappadocia we've heard of. So this was an area where many, many people were coming to faith in Christ. The gospel was spreading like crazy. And so what was going on was many good things. But for Paul, there were some very hard things that were happening to him and to those who worked with him. And so note of this. This is a beautiful little thing. It's only like two verses, I guess one verse. Grace, this beautiful verse, verse 3. He starts out this way. It sounds so much like Paul. He's so gracious in this. And he says, grace to you, peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins. Not his, uh, his sins. He didn't have any. He did it for us. 
to rescue, it makes that idea of, again, rescued us from the present evil age according to the will of God and Father. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And if you stopped right there and say, wow, what a good ending of the story. It's like, isn't that great? It is great. And what's interesting, though, is what we see here. He goes on to say, to rescue. That's the way. Every one of us who comes to Christ, it's because we've been rescued from the sin that keeps us from having relations with God. And suddenly... Paul starts talking in a very different way. Where before it's like, I give thanks to you and I'm so thankful for you doing that. And what we'd expect him to say is, normally Paul would say this, hey, I'm so wonderful to be with you and I'm glad that we're here together and I want to be able to share with you the good news. It doesn't go that way. It gives you the idea how Paul is so upset about this passage we're going to be looking at here. Paul is, we might say, beside himself. Normally, he'd be telling us things about how wonderful it is to be with you, hope things are well for you, looking forward to be together with all that. He starts off right as, I am amazed that you have so quickly turned away from him, from Christ, who called you to the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there, there are those or some who are troubling you and want to change the good news about the Messiah. Paul normally starts out with that halt again, right in verse six, verse 6, saying, I'm so thankful you. He doesn't say anything about how thankful he is. I would not want to use the word he's mad, but he is disturbed. I don't mean mentally disturbed. His, he's disturbed to find what's going on. And so what he's saying is, I am amazed. This word, I'm amazed, thalmazo in Greek is very interesting. It's the idea of like, I'm like, I'm like so cannot believe it, kind of like, you know, is, is it really real? Is this something really, can, could you really do this? You, you've been Christians for a while now, and suddenly, you know, all that you've heard from me, all that you've heard from the apostles, and, and, and you don't get it, and now you're starting to turn away from the gospel? There's only one gospel. That's the gospel I've been teaching you, and now you're talking about another gospel? And so you can see, he is riled up. He is like so upset. He helped bring these people to Christ, many of them by his leading and teaching. And he, you know, the church was doing well. We all know that when anywhere the Lord is working, the sat Satan's going to be right behind you to do anything he can to destroy it. And that's exactly what he's doing here when we're in the book of Galatians. Paul is like, I can't believe it. I, I mean, in this relatively short time, you've turned away from what God has made it clear to you. And so he says, I am amazed. I mean, like, I can't believe this, that you're so quickly turning away from Christ, him who called you by the grace of Christ. I mean, isn't that a good thing what Christ did for you? Yeah. But now you're turning to a different gospel. There's no other gospel. But there are those who are troubling you, and they want to change the good news about Messiah. See, this is very interesting, because here we're still very early in the Christian church. And things are going relatively well for him now. But suddenly it's like, could you really that quickly move away from the gospel? He keeps making that point. There's only one gospel. There's not two gospels. There's not five gospels. There's one gospel. It's important. One of our guys in our group was talking about the fact that they were working with a group of people, and a woman was talking about how, you know, the, you know all the people have their different beliefs. And anyways, all of us actually really will be believing the same thing. What would Paul do with that? He'd be going, mega anointed, I'm going to have a stroke if you even say that. That is not the truth. 
There is only one way. There's only one way and there's only one gospel. And so Paul's trying to make that very clear. There are some who are troubling you. They want to change the good news about the Messiah. What are the things they want to change? He doesn't tell us directly. It could be that some of these people are already dealing with some of the suffering. You remember when we were looking at 1 Peter, and a little bit of 2 Peter, mostly 1 Peter. People were suffering. People were hurting. And so if someone was saying, you know, what about a gospel that's a little bit easier? Paul's saying, no, no, I'm sorry. I've told you what the gospel is. I've made it very clear to you. And you're turning away from it? Paul's saying, how could you be doing this? This is absolutely amazing. And he wants to say, I want to tell you how important I think this is. Okay? He said, but even if we, we the apostles, and an angel from heaven should preach to you that what we've preached to you, a curse be on them. Now, in that culture, when you say a curse on a person, it, well, in Hebrew, it's this word harem. It's like a thing that's saying, like, pops. It was often used in the idea of a harem, like somebody who was so bad and done something so evil, kind of like some of the kings of Israel who would burn their own children uh, as a as a sacrifice to their gods. And so he's saying to this, are you kidding me? He said, even if we of an angel from heaven should preach to you other than what we've preached to you, anathema, that'd be the Greek form of it, anathema, like you're a dead man. You ought to be out of here because that you are turning away from the one true God. You're turning away from the true gospel. You're turning away from what God has prepared for you. And so Paul is riled up. Paul realizes how dangerous it is. This group, if they start going, it could be like wildfire among the other churches. Just a couple minutes ago, we were looking at that map. All along that area, there were people coming to faith in Christ. And Paul's thinking, if this starts spreading from this kind of craziness stuff, from this idiot stuff, he's saying, we're in deep trouble. So he says, I want to tell you one. Even if we, the apostles, or if an angel from heaven, again, in their time, there were people thought there were times of angels did. We talk about that particularly in the Old Testament and the stories, but New Testament as well. But what if an angel came down and sat down right next to you? Okay? And the guy says, hey, guess what? I'm an angel. How do you know? Well, I got wings. Well, they didn't have wings. But somebody said, I happen to be an angel. So, yeah, really? And I've got a thing It's just a little bit different from what you believe. Paul's saying, don't even believe it. If they tell you if they're an angel, said if they're moving away from what the gospel has been clearly taught, said you're in deep trouble and you've got to get out of there. And so Paul's making this so clear. He said, even if we, an angel from heaven, should preach to you other than what we have preached to you, a curse, anathema, harem, get them out. Verse 9, as we have said before, I say now again, if anyone preaches to you a gospel contrary to what you receive, a curse be on him. Now he said, didn't he just say that? Yes, he just said that. He said the same thing over because he wanted to say, do you want to hear it a third time? Not necessary. Okay. His point is, do I have to say this a second time to you to understand there's only one gospel and you're going to be turning away from it if you're doing this. Not only that, you're leading other people away from the truth. Now, this is not something that happens only a long time ago. This is happening in America all over. There are people who are supposed to be really good teachers, and they start getting off on their own little thing, and before you know, there's weirdness all over the place. And Paul, if he was alive today, would say to the gospel, the gospel what God has taught us. 
And he keeps saying, be careful what you're doing here. He said, so if anyone preaches to you a gospel contrary to what you received, a curse be on that person. And so he says, for, I am, now, for am I now trying to win favor for people of God? He, what's he saying, basically? He said, you know, there's a lot of people here that will tell you, pastors, who say, just tell the people what they want. What makes them happy? Okay? Paul's saying, uh-uh. For am I now trying to win favor for people? But God, am I telling them what they want to hear? They want to hear a happy little story about Jesus and, the, you know, this and that. Paul's saying, I'm not into any of that stuff. Forget it. Even if I'm now trying to win favor for people, God, am I striving to please people? If we were still trying to please people, I would not be, I would not be a slave of Christ or you might say a follower of Christ. Because he's saying, listen, I'm not here to make you feel good. I'm not here to make you happy. I'm here to make sure you understand the gospel. And when you start turning away, bad things start happening and it gets worse. And so Paul makes it very clear. He says, now I want you to know brothers. It's interesting, verse 11, because now he is speaking to him again. He says, now I want you to know brothers, which is interesting. He could say, now I want you to know you idiots. He didn't say that. He said, I want you to know brothers. He's basically saying, you know, I still see you as a brother. Even though I think you're going down the wrong trail, I, I still recognize you as a brother in Christ, but I'm very worried about you. He says, now I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel preached by me is not based upon human thought. Now think about that for a minute. For I did not receive it from a human source, and I was not taught by it. Well, if it's not then, if it wasn't taught by a person, who was it taught by? Remember the Apostle Paul when he was in the Gora, when there was all these, all these men who all, you know, followed all these different kind of cultures and things and their beliefs and their philosophies, and they were so big into this. And Paul was looking at going, oh, my goodness, this is crazy, all the stuff that they come up with. And so what Paul's saying, you know what, I didn't get it from any of those guys. Yes, those guys at the Agora who work there, some of them are very smart. Some of them have very intelligent people. But he's saying, that's not what we're about. He says, because I want you to know, he says, I didn't receive it from a human source. Well, it wasn't from a person. What was it? He says, well, I'll tell you what it was. It came by revelation. Not the book of revelation, but revelation. In other words, God gave it to me directly. Whoa. By God's revelation, I get this from him, yeah. And people say, well, how do we know you're really true? Well, you'll see me by my life. You'll see my character, by what God has shown me. And so he says, for I did not receive it from a human source. It was not taught it, but I came by revelation from Jesus Christ. And this little section here is called Paul's Apologia, the idea of saying, here's what I want to tell you about me. This passage is unusual in the sense because Paul is saying, go ahead, let me tell you about what I am. Remember, this is going to be go right through this section. Paul is constantly going to deal with the question of people saying, Paul, you know, you're what you, were, you came in last in this kind of stuff. The 12 apostles, they're the big guys in Jerusalem. And Paul, you know, you got late in the whole story here. And so they're saying, you know, Paul, you know, I want to just tell you, you know, you're kind of on your own out here. And Paul's going to say, you're right. I am going to be in my own, uh, own here by myself for a certain reason. So notice what he says. For you've heard about my former way in Judaism. Yeah, we sure did. We heard about the fact that he, they had, people had turned away from him. 
He said, from their former way of Judaism. Paul says, you know what? He's saying how sad this was in his life. I persecuted God's church to an extreme degree, and I tried to destroy it. For the Apostle Paul to have to think, there were people that were hurt because of me. There were people who were tortured because of me. There were people who were put in jail because of me. I was a good Jewish boy. I was going terrific. They thought I was just maybe one of the top guys. And now all of a sudden, on the way to Damascus, my life was turned upside down. And Paul's saying, you know what? <laughs> I don't know what he said. For you've heard about my former way of life in Judaism. I persecuted God's children to an extreme degree, and I tried to destroy it, get rid of Christianity. And he said, I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my people. They're saying, Paul, you're doing great. You're going to be one of our top guys. And then they fall and say, did you just hear the thing that Paul, this wonderful guy, he's with the Christians. And they're saying, that must be a mistake. He's probably teaching them. And they're going, no, it's not a mistake. Something happened to Paul on the road. One of the great things about the Apostle Paul, and you've heard me say this before, Paul never got over what happened to him on the, Paul, on the way to Damascus. He never got over it. He always recognized that every day, by God's mercy, he brought him out of that, and all that he has and all that he has about himself is all mercy of God. And so he's saying, <laughs> I was at the top. I was doing everything that everybody should do as a good Jewish boy. And here I am, and my life has been turned upside down. He said, because I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. He said, yeah, I mean, I know it. I was studying the scriptures. People knew who I was doing. And then I love this little phrase. He says, but, but when God, who from my birth set me apart, and he called me from his grace, I was pleased to reveal in his son to me so that I could preach him among the Gentiles. Stop right there for a minute. Notice what he said. But when God, who from my birth, set me apart. There's an interesting passage in Acts chapter 9, verse 15. I'll just read you a little section. This is chapter 9, verse 15. Paul is going on. Ananias is saying, Lord, I've heard from many people about this man. How much harm he's done to you, saints in Jerusalem. He has authority here from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to me, and notice this phrase, go, for this man, Paul, is my chosen instrument to take my name to Gentiles, to kings, to Israelites. I'm going to show him, Paul, how much he must suffer for my name. Boy, that's a hard thing. You mean there's a lot of suffering coming, Paul? Uh-huh. Give me a lot of it. And you're going to have people spit in your face. And there'll be people who will try to kill you. And they're going to hate you. And I'm going to ask you to be strong by the power that God has given you. So Ananias left and he entered the house and he placed his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road when you were traveling has sent me so you can regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. At once, something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up. And he was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. It's like, oh, what is happening to my life? What a huge change. 
And notice what he goes on well, in this little section. He goes on to reveal to his son and to me so that I could preach him among the Gentiles. You know, just years, be few years before, Paul would say, Gentiles? You know, we let them in, but there's only certain things they can do. But they've got to be good people and nice people. Paul says, you know what? <laughs> you know what I'm preaching? I'm preaching that the Gentiles are the one that God has called me to do. And so he says, he did preach among the Gentiles. He said, I did not immediately consult with anyone. This is an interesting thing. Hold this, if you would, this idea. He said, I did not consult with anyone. So think of this again. Paul realizes that his life has been turned upside down. He's in Damascus. And he realizes that I, or he's thinking, what do I do at this point? The logical thing to do for Paul is to say, well, I need to go back to Jerusalem because that's where all the big boys are. Maybe that's not a good phrase for him. The apostles, the 12 apostles, and the ones that are still in that area, particularly James and people like that. And so he's saying, he said, I did not go up to Jerusalem to those who went because, he said, because apostles before me. He said, instead, I went to Arabia and then came back to Damascus. It's like, Arabia? In other words, instead of going up to Jerusalem, he's going out into the wilderness. And it, it's interesting here because there's a question. It, we don't really know the answer to it. And what it's saying here, he's saying, I did not go up to Jerusalem to those who had come before me as apostles. Instead, I went to Arabia and I came back to Damascus. It's like, what did he do that whole time? When he talks about Arabia, that's a huge area. It's mostly out in the desert. What did he do the whole time that he was up there? He said, instead, he went to Arabia and he came up to Damascus. And he said, after three years, that's been a long time, I did go up to Jerusalem. It's like, what have you been doing for three years? Now, be careful. Some people, some you know, people think that maybe Paul was teaching the gospel for three years. Maybe, but out in the wilderness, it's unlikely. Back in the you know, hippie time, you had to think, man, baby, I'm trying to get my head together. I think maybe that's what Paul was doing. He's got, here's a guy who's been terrific in Judaism, who is at the top, almost at the top of the whole deal, and suddenly his world has changed 180 degrees. And he's like, you know, God, I need to be alone with you. Well, you got it. You got like three years of that. But maybe that's what he needed to figure out who he was and what God was calling him to do. So he said, after three years, I did go up to Jerusalem to get to see Cephas. That would be Peter. He said, he said and I stayed with him 15 days. Now, why 15 days as opposed to seven or nine? I don't know. But for him, it must have been important. He said, he said, I didn't stay with them for, I stayed 15 days. He said, but I did not see any other of the apostles except James. James, by that point, was seen as one of the most important of the apostles at that time. And so he said, you know, I, I didn't see any others other than, than James. This, by the way, James may be Jesus, uh, Mary's other son after the birth of Jesus. It's very, I think a young woman at that age would probably have several boys and girls. So maybe this is the mother, Jesus, Mary's mother. Anyways, notice he said, I didn't see any of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. He said, now I'm not lying to you when I write to you that God is my witness. Then afterwards he sent, I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia. We mentioned that earlier. Cilicia is that lower area there, what area we call Turkey. And he said, 
And he said, I remain personally unknown to the Judean churches in Christ. In other words, most of the people, Paul said, really didn't know me up around Jerusalem. You would think that everybody would know him. Paul says, no, I've been I'm kind of like on the outside. I spent three years out in the wilderness. He said, no. He said, I remain personally unknown to the Judean churches in Christ. Then here's a little phrase I like. He said, they simply kept hearing, quote, he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. It's like, whew, what a turnaround. What a change in a person's life. And they're like, you know, we haven't even met this guy, Paul, that we've already been out in the desert and stuff, but people are talking about it. Like, what happened to that guy? How did he go from being perse persecuting people to in this thing to have a total changeover? And how good God has been to him. This passage that we're talking about is all about the power of the gospel. How could a guy like them who was doing so well in all his studies in Judaism, where's the power to that man to be changing that fast, that early, that quick? You know what? It's the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel that changes lives. And so we have these, so it tells us, you know what? The power of God is more than we can ever imagine. It's a beautiful passage you're well familiar with. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 14. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. That's why his power is. Which brings us to the question, what's the issue where you need God in your life, in your challenges, in your struggles? Do you really believe that God is big enough for the issues you're dealing with? That our God is strong enough to do what seems to be an impossible situation? One thing we know for sure, Paul said, if you want to see somebody who saw the power of the gospel, let me tell you a little about it. Because when God's power is released into the lives of people who recognize their need for him, there's no telling what God is going to do. One more passage real quick. In the gospel it says there's an incredible power of change in our lives. Aren't you glad for that? We need that kind of power. I need that kind of power. And we have a great savior. And we have all that we need in him. Our Father, we thank you for the Apostle Paul. We thank you for this man whose life was turned upside down, who's had such an impact in the lives of people, though he's been dead for so long. His teaching and his books continue on, and men and women are coming to continue to know and study what you've given us. Be with us now, Lord. Help us as we prepare for the table. Help us be ready to know how good you have been to us. Thank you for reminding again of the power of the gospel. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.